Hi, I'm Sadiq. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 42 of Shades of Brown. We're back after a week's break uh, for yeah. Thanksgiving. An American holiday break, I guess. Um, yeah, American I guess we recorded, we recorded for Canadian Thanksgiving, didn't we? We did, yeah. I didn't really celebrate it. And it doesn't actually mean that much in Canada as it does in the States. Uh, but that, that was a week off for us. But we're back. Uh, we're going to start off with Microsoft News. We seem to be on a Microsoft News thing. I guess just Microsoft's doing a lot of things. Well, I mean, uh, right, the thing with Microsoft is that so uh, what they like to do is that they um, they aren't holding any more events. Uh, that's something they said that they're going to stop doing for new software features because they've had a problem where they hold an event, right? They're like, oh, this is the Windows 10 creators update. It's going to have X, Y, and Z. And then come into the summer or like six months later and they're like, well, we're actually pushing some of this back, which is fine, mind you, right? Like I'd rather them ship features that are complete and ready versus just rushing to get a deadline in. And so what they're doing now is like when they have an actual preview of the feature ready for people to use, like ready to ship in actual insider builds, they're putting out blog posts and saying, okay, we're going to have these three features are coming out in the new next build and it'll be a part of the next feature release, which makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So, so far we have, uh, the first one we have is the new Windows search interface. Uh, it's very, very macro as it's very spotlight rather, uh, borrowing from spotlight i I wouldn't say quite spot like the the design of the search bar is spotlight but the way it comes up is very like uh some third-party search tools on mac os like alfred uh so that's yeah, spotlight is just basic spotlight so um i guess we should describe it it's so essentially it's just a box in the middle of your screen where you can type the search and now if you use a mac it's uh the only way to do custom things i think it's like if, um the sort of like boolean stuff they do of regular search engines that also works in mac os but there isn't like a gui to filter through things or to use your voice input or anything like that although one can argue siri on mac os does that but siri on mac os is useless but so what this is, right, you can search through, are you searching all your things, the web, documents, settings, and you can drop down and have uh, nested filters and all that fun stuff. And um, I mean, it's it's an interesting way to do it. Uh, I guess it's just honestly, it's the same search system that Windows has had since Vista. Or if you use XP Service Pack 2, if I remember my history correctly, they uh, wasn't it like a toolbar applet, right? They downloaded from Microsoft and it added a search bar there. In the bottom of the taskbar, yeah, I think it was it was just called. Uh, I don't even remember. It's been a while since I've used. You know what I'm talking about, though, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, it was like right next to the start button and right yeah. before any of your open windows. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, this is cool. I guess I've never actually wanted to search the web from uh, the OS's search bar. That doesn't actually. Uh, most of the time, when I'm using the OS's search bar, I'm I'm looking to search for a specific application that I want to launch, uh, or a file, maybe local files, right? Maybe files, but most of the time with files, I have them sorted locally, so I don't have to actually go searching for them uh, in in a search bar. But if you if you're one of the people who don't like meticulously organize folders. Uh, file search, which is most people, right? Most people, yes. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like uh, for probably most of our listeners, I'm willing to bet, and and me and Static, like we have this. I I think me and you both have very very particular file naming schemes that probably don't like it's readable, right? But mine, like, I think I have type, date, name, and then like any other metadata afterwards. Like, it's uh my my folder naming schemes are a little bit odd. Uh, it's right just because. It's some. It's a system, right? Where I know, right? If I open a directory, like I can just like put in, type in the date if I need to search something, and I know it'll just sort by that because it's in the file name itself, and I'm not relying strictly on metadata. Yeah, it, I mean, it is like it is useful. Like even if even if you do, uh, even if you do keep an organized uh, folder structure, it might be easy for you to just search. But the search built into uh, file into Microsoft sorry Windows's File Explorer. Uh, is already pretty solid and it searches pretty well. Uh, but so that so this is cool. I mean, this is helpful, I guess. But it's it's just moving the search feature away from the start menu. I guess they don't want to sort of unload the start menu and make it less, I guess, important. I guess it's sort well, of make- this makes it more useful on touch screens, right? Oh, that's because good. Point, you, yeah, because if like uh, if I'm using a touch keyboard, right, and, and the search results are thrown to the nested in the bottom corner, like having it. Like this works with a touch keyboard much better, right? Because you know the box just kind of pops up a little bit in the screen, and the keyboard pops up there, and it, it makes more sense than throwing it all into the start menu. Right. 
So, so this is uh, touch friendly, and it is just yeah, it's just better overall. I mean, and it also like we like we're talking, we've been talking about a consistent theme, right? Microsoft decoupling the Windows shell. So this removes search from the Windows shell. So like this UI would work fine on an Xbox. Like, I mean, I don't know when you would search on an Xbox, right? Like, exclude exclude the fact that this probably doesn't make sense to put on a games console, but how the UI looks right now, if, like, this popped up, if I hit, like, a search button on an Xbox, I'd be fine with it, because it, it makes sense. It's, it's yeah. modular. Yeah, I mean, it like, it sort of wouldn't make sense on an Xbox console. Like, what would you really actually search for? But uh, this... I mean, on, on an Xbox console, maybe you could, like, ma- uni- implement, like, a universal search. Uh, yeah, for, like, media, or, like, search through Netflix, like how Apple does with the yeah. TV app on uh, Apple TV and iOS. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be useful, but, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, Microsoft is slowly sort of moving things into its little own sort of uh, segmented uh, portions of the OS. So, and, yeah, it's also fluent design, so that's also a thing. Uh, this is... Uh, Fluent. Nice fluent design. Mm. Yeah. I like, I think my, my opinion, I've gone. Well, I feel like this is another theme of the show. My opinion's changing 180. I Now that fluent design is starting to be implemented, I, I'm fucking with it. I like it. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to interesting to see. Uh, so that's the new uh, Windows search. We're going to have a link to the uh, article in Ars Technica about it. Uh, you can see the screenshots. When is this? Uh, like, is this in the? Oh, this is the latest insider build. So it's going to be yeah, a while. Yeah, it's coming in the in the next insider build. Yeah, so it's going to be a while before it, you actually see this in a proper, uh, proper stable release. Uh, and it's probably going to change how it uh, looks. The, like the gradient there is not the best uh, looking gradient. Yeah, like this is definitely not final, right? No, like it's not you, final. Yeah, but it's uh, at the very least, it's. I, I think that it's uh it's good for Microsoft to take things out of the start menu because they uh they right now like honestly what, what should what should like the start menu be should it just be the uh the the place you go for everything or should it just be like an app launcher or like what's the main purpose Cause I like how Apple does it with Mac OS right where it's Launchpad only apps uh Finder has all that stuff there's command there's a dock and all that right I feel like Microsoft is probably moving in that direction just because. They've been, I mean, it's like the theme of Windows 10, right? They've been simplifying all Windows because after, you know, 20 years of them working on the same core OS, some of the, the UI started to get really cluttered and all that. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, it should still be an app launcher because launching programs on, there, there are really no other ways to, I mean, you could have desktop shortcuts, but the proper way to launch programs now on Windows 10 is is to use the start menu, right? You, you search your programs list. Uh, at a launch, uh, you don't want to be going into program files, and so some programs don't even exist in program files. They're like, oh yeah, some of them exist in your local, your user directory. It's it's a hot mess. Well, I mean, I think too that the probably I'm willing to bet that sooner or later they're probably going to take live tiles out of the start menu because I feel like if you're on a PC, right, and you want live tiles, should it just exist on the desktop as something you can add to your desktop and remove at will? Maybe, but uh, most of the time when I'm using when I'm using my desktop, this is personally speaking, I guess I I don't actually see my desk like the actual desk. I don't have icons on my desktop. I don't. I haven't had those for years. Uh, live tiles aren't useful to me either. But uh, the only thing that is... I feel like there's a difference between how me and you use a computer. Right? Yeah, me and yeah. you keep our desktops clean, but you know that most people just no, uh, throw whatever the fuck they want on there. Yeah. And it's just a hot mess. I mean, adding live tiles to that mess wouldn't, I think, be uh, very good. I don't think it would actually benefit most people i don't think live tiles are extremely useful on a desktop os like it doesn't it makes sense on a tablet sort of ui like it when it did in the windows 8 days like the uh the windows 8 start menu um that made sense uh it makes sense on windows phone uh but i don't know if, if it's really useful uh because most of the time the start menu is obviously hidden and when i when i open it I, i'm just opening it to quickly launch a program i'm not really looking at the live tiles for information uh so that's that's my personal thought on that. Uh, Maybe they should just—they probably won't remove it because of the amount of feature set. But that's what I'm saying, right? Like, does it? Is it if it's if you're going to have live tiles, is it better to keep it in the start menu? Or people where like the the goal of start menus open the start menu, you get what you're done, and then you close it, right? Like, it, that's not a bit of UI that you're supposed to live in, like like the desktop shell or anything like that, right? Like the intended purpose—you open it and then you're done with it. So that's what I'm saying, like. If you're going to still have them, maybe it's not the most optimal place for it, but why not let them add them to desktop, right? Because not every user will use it, and not every user uses start uh, live tiles right now, but if they're going to exist, which they probably will, because for mobile, tablets, and 
Xbox, right? Like you have the content blocks work with start with live tiles as well. So even if it might not be the most important feature on a desktop, I would say at the very, like if you add them to your desk to desktop itself, it should at the very least, you know, it, it would make it more useful because I think it'd work with like the next feature, right? Like uh, sets. Uh, we're actually, we're going to, we're going to backtrack a little bit uh, and talk about timeline. Um, the, the feature that was announced done, a year ago, announced a year ago at build. Right. Uh, yeah. And it is the feature where it integrates with Cortana's uh, graph, I guess, uh, machine learning, uh, hashtag algorithms. Uh it's coming to the next uh, Fast Ring Insiders build, uh, so that's another feature that's coming soon, I guess. If you if you if you do use Fast Ring Insider builds, it's it's going to be an exciting time, I suppose. Um, it's it's I mean, it's cool, I guess. It's I I, it, I don't think it'll work very well because I don't unless you live entirely in Microsoft services, it's a bit probably going to be a bit jank. Like it's not yeah, going to be like, you can. It's like a send to PC, right? That new feature that Windows ten. Uh, so I've been trying out Edge for iOS, and we talked about a while back. I got the uh, I got a test flight link to uh, join the preview, and there's like a huge button where it says "Send this to your PC," which is honestly I think maybe should be thrown to the share menu and not take up a significant part of the UI Chrome. But that's a different thing entirely. Um, so what what they're doing with timelines, right? It's like so even if you don't have a Windows mobile device, which no one should have in the year 2017 of our Lord. Uh, Year of Lord 2017, that's how that meme works, yeah. <laughs> but, so, like, if you use um, Outlook on iOS, Outlook for Android, the Microsoft Launcher for Android, which uh, has gotten pretty good. Maybe you should check that out if you use Android and don't hate Microsoft. But, so, what it does, it takes all that sort of context and it builds a graph, right? So, like, if you're if a static sends me an email and I look at it on my phone, I open my PC, I hit the timeline button. In theory, assuming this all works as it should, which, uh, I don't know, cross-device, cross-OS, cloud-syncing has always been a little janky when it's like when it's in the background and it's not like something like Dropbox where it's just strictly files. It's always been a little weird because metadata conflicts and all this sort of fun stuff. But so, assuming it works correctly, that email should show up as the thumbnail and the email app on my Windows 10 PC, right? And I should be able to hop right in and go back to editing a draft or whatever. Um, but that is, this is basically like Continuum, uh, uh, not Continuum. What is that Apple feature called? Uh, handoff. Handoff, yes. Handoff is, but the thing with handoff is it's local only. It doesn't sync to the cloud. It just uh, uses your local network to sync. Uh, and it's actually very limited. I don't think Apple has actually worked on it since it first came. I don't know if they have actually improved handoff significantly since its first uh, launch. But yeah, it's a similar feature using, I guess, cloud syncing to make it work across uh, multiple devices, across networks. Uh, so this is cool if you use Cortana, if you use Microsoft services and applications. So if you use all the uh, Office apps, you use the UWP uh, apps like Mail and uh, Calendar and whatever else. Like it's, it's going to be a good time. But if app, if other application developers are, I mean, they're not on, they're not using UWP most of the time. So that's already as a bit of a loss. So I don't think it's going to get as much integration as Microsoft hopes, but well, it's cool if you live entirely in the Microsoft ecosystem, which is uh, all right, I guess. I mean, I'm not super excited about it. I'm not, I don't use Cortana, so this wouldn't like, this wouldn't do anything for me. Like I I have that disabled basically. Well, I feel like there's like a a broader conversation, which I don't know if we're going to have today, right? But how some of these features are just like them building lock-in. Right, like this is this timeline is literally just a login feature because, right, in terms, it, there is some use to it, but it's it's sort of like how um, how Apple right has the iCloud panel integrated into the settings app. It's like I mean I'm not saying it's wrong, but there's definitely some questionable ethics around the fact that uh, Microsoft is just forcing their services as the premier one. And you could be like, okay, it's their platform, but uh, there's context. Right there's that 2001 DOJ uh, ruling that Microsoft has been struck down, and which I think we should have a conversation about that when we talk about our next topic. But it's just like it's it's uh, Cortana is gonna be a first class experience, and only Cortana on Windows. Like they've like for like for example, you still can't open any other browser but Edge when you uh, use Cortana to get web links. Right, right. That is like it. It doesn't respect your like default browser setting. Uh, it just it just forces. Uh, edge on you uh which is 
Yeah, this is that is not a good look for Microsoft, especially when the situation that they have been in in the past from the European Union. But uh, they may be looking at lawsuits in the future. Who knows? But this is yeah, this is all locked. This is this is all there. This is all integrations with Microsoft ecosystem. This is Microsoft trying to get you to use Microsoft services. Uh, they're like, hey, look, if you use our services, you're gonna get all these cool. Uh, features you're gonna get all these cool integrations uh like yeah that's that's all this is this is just basically like temptation basically this is all temptation to get you to use microsoft services and to get you locked in uh to their ecosystem yeah so if if you don't like that just 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 be like me and just like use cross-platform application as much as possible uh use lock in but select like selectively lock yourself in uh, so you can always uh, sort of escape if you need to, because yeah, or uh, uh, maybe maybe unsolicited advice from the both of us, but right, don't use a major platform vendor's email or calendar or like file sharing options if you can. Right, basically what we're saying is use Fastmail. <laughs> I mean, sure, that's <laughs> use Fastmail, and you will and Lockin will will not be as huge big of an issue. No, I mean that's it's not. I mean Fastmail. I'm is half one joking, of, but yeah, yeah it's, it's half joking, but uh, Fastmail is good. Like I would recommend it to anybody. But if uh, there are other calendar and email services that you can use that, that Microsoft is not Fastmail is not the only vendor of that. Uh, so that's that's one thing. But yeah, so try to avoid as Lockin as much as possible. So that's our lesson, I guess, for this feature. Uh, another feature I think we're going to talk about is uh, Windows 10 sets, uh, which is uh, an interesting UI uh, sort of uh, decision. So, so what they're doing, um, I, I don't think it's, it was, we have a Windows Central article. It, I don't think they touch upon that in there. But this is Edge, right? Like that, they're integrating Edge into the UI shell. Which is right, like the whole entire reason I brought up the the last bit about lock-in and all that was because this is what the DOJ struck, struck down Microsoft for over, God, almost twenty years ago. While wow, we're old, it's in two thousand one. It's they were I they uh, said IE was bundled into uh, Windows Explorer, so they couldn't like decouple it from it. It was a whole legal mess, and the DOJ said they can't do that because that's a, an anti-competitive, monopolistic move. And this is such a so what the feature is right. It brings tabs to Windows in an interesting way. So instead of your application having a tab, your your application is a tab. So like, you know, in a a web browser, you can have multiple tabs. Those tabs stay in Chrome. But how this works is that it wraps to the window in a uh, Edge shell. Some I think it's like Windows Explorer and Edge mixed together. It's probably, it looks just like Edge though. And you press a new tab and you can search the web or you can open an app in that tab. So you have one window which essentially works as a workspace, right? So you have like, it'd be working like a separate desktop, but it's within a window. Mm-hmm. So you can have OneNote, Word, uh, maybe some web pages, and even iTunes or Spotify if you wanted to, all within that window. <laughs> and I think from a conceptual like point, this is actually a really neat feature. This, but f- y- you know what this is? This is this is this is Microsoft trying to uh, make their own Chromebook-like thing. Do you realize that, right? Wait, hold on. Can you even use third-party apps and web browsers in this? Can I open Chrome in this, or is it only strictly that's a good WP apps? I mean, this is probably not done yet, but the this this whole concept is essentially a Chromebook, right? Like this is essentially you open everything using a browser's UI shell. Is basically, I wonder if Microsoft is thinking about making like their own sort of. I mean, there's that Windows 10 version that's really locked down, right? What is it, Windows 10 S? Yeah, Windows 10 S. Yep. You think maybe this is what this is for? That is like that is this is what that would run on uh, for these Chromebook-like PCs, uh, but for Microsoft services, right? Like Microsoft integrated, uh, so you use the Edge shell. Uh, you have a browser already. You have a browser engine. You have a UWP apps launching inside the browser shell. Uh, that is that is basically a Chromebook, uh, but for Microsoft. So, so uh, I checked, and it will right now UWP apps only. But in 2018, they said it'll be expanded to work with Win32 apps. Now, what I want to know is if I click a web link in, uh, like an RSS reader, wh- what's respected? Is this going to be like Cortana? Is it just going to open it in a new tab? And they can claim it's not Edge, right? Because you're opening it within the set, or is it going to load Firefox or Chrome into that set and then open the tab? That would be yeah. Uh, that's 
Yeah, this feels like an like a experiment. This feels like they're trying to think of ways to make uh, a Chromebook for themselves because they do see the popularity of Chromebooks, uh, especially in the education space, uh, and they they realize that that is a market they used to own, right? Like Microsoft used to do- be dominate. Dom- I mean, they still do dominate the education space quite a bit, but their domination is has been loosened by Google's uh, Chromebooks. Uh, so I, I would bet that they're looking into how to make you know a Chromebook uh, like thing for for uh, education purposes, uh, like a, like a laptop, a cheap laptop that that only has Windows ten s and like this feature uh, basically built in, uh, and that's all. It yeah, because then you can lock down the shell even more, right? You can yeah. remove more parts, more overhead, and to make it run quicker. But I still, right, like. I I think from a UI perspective, this is an interesting feature, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I think this is an interesting feature. But the problem is, like, Microsoft has not proven themselves to be a neutral vendor recently, right? Like, I can't I can't trust them to respect my preferences for with um, if I'm opening apps in a set, right? Yeah, yeah. That's there's uh, yeah there's also the lock in thing that we mentioned. This is this is also lock in, obviously. I mean, it, this is basically an extreme form of lock in. Uh, using their browser shell uh, to launch apps is, is just a bit, yeah. Uh, this is not out yet, obviously. This is all like what insider stuff. I think it's not going to be out for a long time, but yeah, it's a thing to keep an eye on. I think it's it's demonstrating an intention. I think for Microsoft to build upon like a Chromebook like platform because they they're aware of the their weakness in the education market. Uh, and sort of my, Windows's reputation for being like you know slow or malware ridden or you know stuff like that. But yeah, so that's Windows 10 sets. Um, I think that's enough Microsoft views for one episode. Uh, we're gonna be doing like a sort of a segment on living with slow internet. Uh, this, this wait, is we're a... not gonna shit talk Animal Crossing. Oh, we are. Oh, this is that okay, Christian? Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, hold on. So. Uh, I guess t- spoiler for the next bit after this one, but uh, so Animal Crossing Pocket Camp came out, and I want to talk about it. I want to. <sighs> so, Animal Crossing is an amazing game series. Let me just say that right now. Um, it is a part of my gaming lifestyle. <laughs> like it's uh, jokes aside, right? So, Animal Crossing is a game where you become a villager, you move to a new town. You, uh, a certain raccoon gives you a huge loan for a house and you can go farming, you can make friends, you can get furniture, dress up your character. It's just like one of those like simulation games where you just kind of, it's chill. You just relax, you have a good time. And so Nintendo was like, well, people love Animal Crossing because it's a good game series. And so, uh, what if we bring it to mobile? Which I thought, you know, good idea. Um, because Animal Crossing is also a game that's very time-based. So fruit, you can pick fruit and sell it in town. You can go fishing. You can sell it in town. You can uh, catch bugs, sell it in town. You can buy uh, renovations to your house. You can paint your house and all that. But all that's time-based. So some fish will only show up at nighttime. Some only show up in the morning. Some animals will only, or some uh, insects will only show up during certain parts of the year. And fruit only grows once every one or two days, depending on which Animal Crossing game you're playing. So you pick the fruit, that's it for the day. Uh, You do a house renovation, that's it for the day. So there's a checklist of things you can do. And once you're done with that, you can just talk to more animals or decorate your house, I guess, or just kind of just go to a friend's town. But like Animal Crossing is a game that, that's the opposite of what most games do, right? Animal Crossing gives you a time, puts hard limits on what you can do just to make it a chill experience. And that's like so rare out of all we have, right? Out of like this current market that's just like faster of loot boxes and grinding and timers and all that, right? Like Animal Crossing has always been a game where it's like, nah, fuck it. You're going to wait until tomorrow. You bought a new, uh, uh, you, you want a new room in your house? Tomorrow it will show up. Maybe you, you can mess with the clock in your DS, right? Or your Wii to change the time to make it look like it's tomorrow. Um, but that will break the game after a while. Things will start to disappear, right? Like, uh, it messes with the game, and it's usually recommended that you don't do that because it, I think Nintendo has some safeguards too, where it will also like make your town ugly in some of the games, right? Make a uh, plants die quicker and all that kind of stuff. So there's like you don't want to do time travel because also too it's it's not really worth it. And so they brought it to mobile, 
and normal and re- and I wasn't upset when they announced to be free play microtransactions, right? Because Animal Crossing has always had timers, and I feel like paying to get rid of those timers kind of defeats the purpose of the game, right? Like you're going against the vibe of the game, and I figured that they would design it in such a way that microtransactions wouldn't be needed, which is to an extent true. So if Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, instead of being a town, you have an RV camp. You have an RV, you have like a little campground, and you can complete tasks to get animals to come stay and hang out at your town. Or not your town, but your camp, sorry. And so what my problem with this game is, is that they 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 shortened a lot of the timers, right? Like I know people on Mastodon were like, wow, three hours away for fruit to grow back? And I'm like, three hours? Shit. And Animal Crossing New Leaf, it takes like a day and a half. And I can't pay to make that go quicker. Um, my problem with it is that they, they they went too far in the direction of making a checklist. So to get new animals to join your uh to join your camp, you have to build furniture that they like and then place it in your campground and then you can invite them over. And that's it. That's the core gameplay loop of the game. You can get clothes, you can make furniture, right? But the only sense of progression is go catch a fish, give it to this animal. Go um you know, get some fruit give it to this animal and then this animal will come to your campground and you're just collecting people or animals in your campground and hoarding them in there. There's also a mode where you can add friends. You can visit their campground and that's it. You guys can't hang out together. You can only see it and give them kudos, which I still do not know what it actually does besides gets a feeling of validation. And the game heavily encourages you to add as many friends as possible. So you can use a, uh, a sort of like a, a, a slot. It's, it's not really a slot machine, right? But it's like a mini game that's almost like a slot machine mode because you need five friends to agree at the same time to go join in with you in that mode. So Nintendo encourages you to add as many people as possible, cluttering up your friends list. So it, it takes the most annoying parts of Animal Crossing games, which is like completing tasks for people, makes that the core gameplay loop, wraps it all in a timer, which is fine, but also then charges an exorbitant amount for microtransactions. So it, that's my problem with it, right? It's like the core gameplay loop is not a fun one, and there's not a huge diversity set, a, a, a huge diverse amount of furniture. Plus, the amount of clothes you can get is very limited, and it's like you suck the soul out of an Animal Crossing game. It's like it's it's an Animal Crossing game, and I was about to make a, a wolf sheep, a wolf's clothing, sheep's clothing analogy, but like that really wouldn't work because it's Animal Crossing. But you get what I mean, right? Like I think uh, Polygon, Christy Tiger, uh, who is John Legend's wife, so I don't, it's not relevant to anything. But uh, Christy Tiger, also also a model. I'm sorry, I don't want to refer to people as who they're married to because that's shitty. My bad. But so a model on, on Twitter was like, "You're getting a sandwich, but with no meat." Which is essentially what this is. Yeah, this is a shell, uh, a shell experience of of of, uh, of the actual Animal Crossing games on the DS, right? This is just like, yeah, this it's, is, uh, yeah. it's yeah. it's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, it could have been, yeah. And you you didn't. Oh, well, actually, there's one thing that you didn't like about the game, right? That made you not even want to install it. Okay, you want to tell this, us about this what is, it is this is <laughs> this is a long-standing gripe of mine. I suppose this is like a pet peeve of mine with Nintendo. Uh, if For those who don't know, Nintendo's online account system is not based on, like, uh, alphanumeric ID, like, you know, a gamer tag or a PlayStation ID or whatever, right? Or your Steam uh, Steam ID. Uh, that's, like, an actual nickname. But it's just a bunch of random numbers that you get assigned when you create the account. And you're supposed to give, that, give those numbers to other people uh, to add them to your friends list. Uh, this is... This is terrible. This is not the 90s anymore. We do have, you know, there's a reason that DNS exists. We, pe- people are bad at remembering a uh, bunch of numbers. Uh, and it's not memorable. It doesn't add any personality. Uh, the one excuse that everybody has given me why Nintendo still does this is that they don't want to deal with moderating uh, usernames, right? They don't want people, like, having, like, crude, like, jokes and, uh, like, uh, in their family-friendly sort of environment. Uh, but honestly, like, this is, like, I would just take the hit and just make, like, a solid regex filter for all sorts of uh, usernames and just add usernames. But, yeah, this is just, 
a grab. Like I opened the app and it was like, yeah, you want to create a Nintendo account? I'm like, uh, not really. No, like and, and mobile games are not really my kind of thing usually. So I was just like instantly sort of put off by it. And I was just like, yeah, I'm just not going to play it. It's it's not really worth it to just make an account for this game. And I'm not going to really use it for anything else right now because I don't have a Nintendo console. Uh, so like it's, it's kind of useless for me to just make an account for that game. So yeah, that's that's my. I do. I haven't actually played the game, so I don't have any opinion on it. Uh, Christian, no, that's that's a valid valid one. And I guess one last thing, which I just remembered, which I want to say is like the biggest turnoff. Um, grinding for crafting materials is bad. You don't do this in regular Animal Crossing, and it, that's what sour. That really soured the experience for me, right? Because like the only way to get more crafting materials is to spend is either spend real money or to grind out. Well, like you have to spend real money because you can't grind out because of the timers. So that's where you start to get enticed, right? Because you want more animals in your camp, which is like a really bad gameplay loop and doesn't make that much sense. So uh, Super Mario Run, I still hold, is the only good game Nintendo has put out on mobile. Fire Emblem Heroes is also a uh, mess of things that entice you to get free to play or to buy microtransactions. And I, I am not saying free to play games are all bad, uh, but. These are this it's the same gameplay loop just wrapped in other in like different names and different descriptions of items. Right. But Nintendo isn't or I guess it's not Nintendo. Right. I think they're partnered with uh, Doka Doka something. God, I can't remember the name. It's a Japanese. Yeah. Japanese game studio, which is I think they made a dragon puzzle or something like that, like a really big free to play game on uh, iOS and Android in Japan. It's it's the same gameplay loop, just kind of being reskinned. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising the the basic gameplay loops of mobile games have it hasn't changed uh, dramatically, um, and I, I, that's why mobile gaming is is basically haven't hasn't been appealing to me. Only a few games I actually care about, like you know, Monument Valley or like uh, like three threes or stuff like that which doesn't have microtransactions you know like stuff like that um like i like i ha- like i'm tired of microtransactions that's i mean that's one thing we went into that a couple weeks yeah, ago we, we, we had talked about the loot boxes but sorry uh jim sterling voice here uh so nintendo's mobile games are starting to look like asset flips right oh jeez. like yeah. they're not i know that fire emblem heroes and animal crossing has a slight has different gameplay mechanics but abstract it out i want like I don't don't at me first. Just just listen to what I have to say. Abstract it out like in your head for a bit, and it's it's the same gameplay loop. Yeah, it's uh... it's the mm. same resource grind, and it's like if you go to the up. Uh, I swear, I sorry, I do not remember their name, but the same company who was working with Nintendo to make these games, they also have a very similar gameplay loop, and uh. It's it's slimy and gross, and you know what? Make it free to play. If they were like, oh, you can buy furniture at real money, or you can buy it at in-game currency, I'd be 110% more fine with that than me having to pay to grind out for uh for crafting materials. Yeah, yeah, that's just not just not good. Yeah, I'm not a fan uh, of the business model here and the way they designed the game. So that's that's Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. Uh, on iOS, right, right, right. I don't think it's it's, it's not on Android, right? It's only iOS. it is on Android. It's on okay. iOS and Android. Okay, so both platforms. Uh, so we're gonna move on to the final sort of discussion topic. Uh, this is this is sort of uh, caused by a recent experience. Uh, the slow internet experience. We're gonna be talking about what happens when when you don't have fast internet access for uh, for some some time. Uh, so the story here is that my home internet uh, uh, went down on Saturday and it came back yesterday afternoon. Uh, so that's like four, four, uh, four and a half days of uh, internet outages because what happened was the city was doing some work in the sewers uh, in 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 my uh, in my neighborhood and they hit like uh, they hit a fiber. That's basically what happened. They hit a fiber and they you know broke it. So my internet was down for uh, four and a half days. Uh, so and I and that it was frustrating. Like the frustrating part was that I had to like mobile tether. Uh, so I went out and I got uh, a three G dongle from one of the cheaper uh, mobile data carriers here, uh, and that's what I used for getting work done. Uh, 
uh, over the weekend. So, question though, why three G and not LTE? Because LTE data is expensive. Uh, it is very, very expensive uh, comparatively, and um, this is only a contingency plan. Uh, like the three G stick, like I'm not. It's a prepaid three G stick. Like uh, the plan is prepaid, right? So if if I if I don't want to use it next month, I just I just don't pay, right? Uh, so so I don't have any commitment. It's just like the sunk cost of me buying the dongle, right? The USB Huawei dongle uh, that came with it, and and the first month of the plan, which is like forty dollars, right? Uh, so that's that. That was like a sunk cost that I put in, so I can have that contingency plan for later. But it, that's what I used for the uh, for the weekend and to get some work done, some get some uh, personal projects out of the way. Um, and I realized like how much craft is in web pages. Like I was, I mostly avoided most web pages for the day. But if I whenever I tried to load something, I was like, "Holy crap!" Like this is actually taking a bit. One example was you know a wire like the messenger the messenger service I use uh, what Christian uses. Uh, it's the web app is slow to load uh messages message delivery feels very slow like it's weird i, I don't know why it feels slow. i think it's just animation. oh my god so like uh at my job um it is it is a dead zone for lte so i only get 4g there or like hspa plus and you you've experienced this right i'll yeah. text you when i'm at work and messages will be sent out of order because one failed to send but the other ones didn't like, it's, it's really weird, and I have to resend it, and then, like, I just don't understand what's going on. Like, I don't know what Wire's doing on their back end, but, like, message delivery is not the most reliable, and, like, you know, for a messaging service... That is, yeah, that is a critical <laughs> flaw to have. That is really, like, you shouldn't have that uh, flaw. Uh, that shouldn't be... A, that should be the basic thing of your service, right? That's, like, the minimum viable product. Uh, so, yeah, that Wire was a bit... Awkward. It wasn't too bad, I suppose. I mean, it could be worse. Uh, but 3G, like, the latency is pretty high. The speed is not very so. Like, pages load slowly and have more latency. Uh, so I'm going to, like, provide some tips to, on how to, like, survive, like, you know, like an edit outage like this. You know, if, if you can get, you can afford to buy a sort of a contingency plan, like 3G mobile edit uh, uh Turn off... Uh, set set your can uh, say it's on if you're using Windows. Uh, set your connection to metered so Windows doesn't start like doing updates right uh, over that connection. Uh, pause OneDrive sync if you use OneDrive right. You can pause it for uh, up to 24 hours. And I think if you have a metered connection, it will automatically pause OneDrive sync for you. Uh, turn off uh, if you use Steam. Uh, go put it in offline mode so it doesn't start downloading updates right. You don't want that. But, but any other game service that you have, either close them entirely or put them in offline mode uh, so you don't start downloading updates. Uh, if, if your phone has like a low data mode, like a low uh, sort of, like I think on iOS, you can like enable it for iMessage, but you can also, I think, sort of reduce data issues by putting your uh, phone into like low power mode. I think that reduces sync. Also go into general settings background app refresh and turn every single app off yeah basically anything other than what do you need like if you want to keep like a few messaging services on right right uh and uh maybe like you know like your mail app or whatever right like a like a few apps uh that you critically need other than that just basically turn off background data uh or turn off just uh background uh app notifications or whatever I think you can also turn off cellular data for apps. Yeah, so you can actually check real quick. Yeah, you can. You go to yeah, yeah. settings, cellular. Yeah. You can um, specifically yeah, you turn, can turn off. off yeah. yeah, you can turn off data for apps. Yeah. So background refresh, maybe keep it on. But yeah. uh, if there's some apps that you just entirely don't want any cellular data for, yeah. it yeah. will turn off. And it will also tell you how much cellular data these apps have used. Yep. Yeah. So that's one tip on iOS. I'm not sure about Android. Like, I don't know how Android would handle... Us. Android has a data-saving mode. Oh, it I does, yes. Very, yeah. AOSP has one. It probably varies in terms of how good it is between devices because just Android things. And also, I mean, this is like a granted, basically don't stream video, like as much as you can afford it. Like, it's not going to work out very well. Streaming video is extremely data-intensive. Uh, stream streaming streaming media is all like any of any sort is very expensive so if what i'm going to say is like this is sort of like a long-term tip is like keep some local media like uh locally stored media that you can access it doesn't have to be on your hard drive you could have a nas uh audio local network uh keep some you know music or movies uh tv shows uh 
Yeah, uh, Netflix has an offline mode. Um, yeah, Netflix. this is what I'm saying. If when you go when you go to get your device, trust me, I live the life of a 16 gig iPhone. <laughs> it's it's worth it if you have the amount. If you if you have if you can pay for more local storage or yeah. buy a big SD card for your phone. Yeah, like a store as much as you can locally because you're gonna find out like when 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 your internet is down and or you have really slow internet uh, temporarily. Is that a lot of things become very expensive, like time-consuming to do, like data transfers are very expensive and time-consuming. So you want to keep as much cached uh, or as much local as possible. Obviously, not everything going to be local. You still need to like you know access like your mail maybe um, or like like online services like you know Google Docs or whatever. So you know those are, those are still there, but as much as possible, keep your uh, stuff local. I guess this is this is like me saying local storage is is great, like it's good. Uh, actually, local storage is good, yeah. Yeah, like it, local storage is hella fast. Like there's no access delay. It's access delay is basically like accessing the SSD or the hard drive. Or yeah, even like, if like a spinning hard disk, it's only it's seconds. Seconds, right? yeah, basically. Yeah, to, to get something, and it's only if it's like a big video file. And once it's loaded, anyways, you're good. Um, so. Any tips for connecting to public internet hotspots or okay. access points? Or like, or what did you do for that? Okay, so what I did uh, the first day when I didn't have the 3G dongle is I went to the local library. Uh, uh, I went to the local library and used their internet service for a bit. Uh, that That's something you can do if you have that sort of infrastructure uh, in your city, in your locale. Uh, thankfully, Toronto is pretty good uh, and has libraries basically everywhere. Uh, these libraries have a free internet access and power, so you can you know like sit down for a bit and do some get some work done uh, if your local uh, if your home internet is down. So that's what I did for a, for a few hours on on Saturday. I just went I just went to my local library and worked there until it was closing time, and then I left. Uh, so yeah, and also one note like the library internet, uh, it, it is like an unsecured Wi-Fi network, like it doesn't have a password on it. So you might want to like use like a VPN service if you care, or like if you just use HTTPS services only, right? Uh, so you don't like you know. Leave. Yeah, this is one of those situations where it's sort of like hope for the best and hope that everything's secured on. Yeah, end, right? I mean, most... I mean like, a VPN at the you're just shifting where like where the yes where yeah. the breach can happen. Like if if you don't if you if you mostly like for me it's not a problem. I don't have to use a VPN because basically every service that I use is HTTPS. So I'm. I'm protected at a different layer already. So if unless somebody's tried to man in the middle me, uh, which is which is not likely, uh, I'm not. I don't have that kind of threat model. Uh, it's it's fine for most people. Most services these days are HTTPS and use HTTPS, especially if you use like uh, iOS or like uh, Android. Most services just use HTTPS by default uh, because that's what those OSs have been designed with for most part. Uh, so that's that. Yeah, so that's... If you you can find a coffee shop, maybe if you don't have a library, maybe you can find a coffee shop, uh, a restaurant, I don't know. Uh, like, Christian, like, what would you recommend for that, like, public sort of internet access? Okay, so... Um, super... Well, so I'm going to... I have to take this from the U.S. perspective because uh, I, I think America and Canada are different. Some aspects. Like, I, like, the video streaming thing, like, for me, it's... Your carrier throttles video streaming anyway, so... Do it on your phone. The only thing you have to worry about is your battery life. That's not how it is in Canada. Canada uh, doesn't have all that fun stuff where things get throttled on the network end because of hashtag net neutrality. But uh, I would say if you work at a restaurant, as someone who's worked in restaurants, people worked out of it before. Like uh, as long as you buy a coffee or something, no one's going to care. I mean, like maybe maybe you don't try and hang around closing time too much, but like no one really cares if you're in the back doing your thing and you're buying drinks or whatever. Um, but I would say that uh, it's the thing about not having connectivity, right? It's like, it's not also that um, not having it at home is bad. It's that l- sparse connectivity, right? Like my things has always been shitty, like dead zones. That's, that's where things get annoying because you can have it. But if you're, if the cell tower is far away and you're dropping bars all the time, like we have problems with wire and uh, unsolicited tip for anyone making a web service who's listening to the show. Please, please test with the every web browser. Every web browser has an option for you to fake three G settings. iOS has it built in. Uh, please test your stuff. With or, that. or you can you can just like put your like even if you have a phone that is using LTE, you can force it to use three G. Like iOS does have that option, right? 
Um, you can set it to use 3G. I think Android also has this. So you can, you can switch to LG man, uh, sorry, 3G uh, manually instead of uh, using LTE automatically. Um, so test with uh, 3G or slower networks, right? Like it is possible to do. Those networks still exist uh, in, in, in North America. Like the, they haven't gone away. A lot of people use them. In fact, uh, a lot of things and a lot of devices still use 3G networks. Uh, probably a majority of people still use 3G networks, I would say, in a, a lot of places uh, because LTE is not available or not cheap uh, everywhere. So that's that's the thing. Uh, LTE data, as I mentioned earlier here, is expensive. So uh, that's also a thing. Oh, and also uh, one, one more hot tip. If you do any sort of creative work, if you do any work that right, you're using a computer for most of it, um, I would say try to make sure that the apps you use or part or most of your workflow doesn't require a web browser for times like these. Because I mean, I know like if you're doing video editing or we're making podcasts, right? Like not really much that need in terms of pure production, but for writing or some other things, right? Like getting your workflow out of a web-based text editor and it's something more local is going to save you in the long run where connectivity is gone or bad because then you can still get your job done. Yeah, so I was, uh, this, this, this is, so I mentioned that I was working as a personal project. I was working on like a Ansible playbook to get Mastodon installed, right? Uh, and what I did, I had Adam install the web, the the IDE or editor, a text editor from made by GitHub. Uh, I had that installed and I just launched that up. Uh, I already had Git installed uh, on my desktop. Uh, and I just, what I did was I just wrote in, I wrote in Atom and just pushed it to Git. And Git doesn't take a lot of data. It's, it just in bursts. Like you just push, push your repository back upstream. Uh, so I could, I could do that over 3G and it wouldn't be too much of a hassle. So, and, I, and I had my SSH, SSH doesn't use that much data either. So, so the, with those two, right? Like I, I reduced my dependency a lot. Like I didn't, I didn't use like a web-based editor or anything. I didn't need, I don't, I didn't really need access to GitHub directly. Uh, I could just use the Git client to do get my work done, and I did manage to finish the project. Uh, surprisingly productive for for a weekend without internet access. I got, I, I finished that project. I finished like four books, which is uh, impressive. I think even even if these are books that I've read before, but. Yeah, so surprisingly, it can force a bit of like, uh, like try it for yourself. Like try turning up data and try to get some work done. See how far you can like try try slowing down your web browser and see how much work you can get done. Right, like that is a thing. I think somebody should try like uh, like a slow internet simulation mode. Right, like maybe yeah. Like, because what I've done right, it's like I've just as a general rule, I try to make sure that everything I do doesn't, isn't like dependent. I mean, some of it's dependent on the internet, right? Like uploading a podcast, you're going to need internet for that. Fine. But like as many things as possible, don't require me to live in a web browser or be always connected. Also too, right? Because just, it's a, it's nice to not be always uh, on, on some high, high speeds or not high speeds, right? But like to just to have those kind of distractions at you anyways, yes. being when you're in a yeah. web browser. Yeah, that is. So uh, most of the time when I was uh, the, the weekend to save data, I, I closed social media tabs. Well, social media, I mean Mastodon. Uh, I didn't have my Mastodon tab. I only would occasionally pop in to check what's going on or post something uh, real quick just to you know provide some updates. Uh, like the project I was working on is related to Mastodon, so I was posting about that a little bit. But most of the time, I would just open the tab, write something in, and then close it. Uh, and that is, you know, that is something to be said about, you know, segmenting sort of uh, social media uh, from when you're doing work, right? So that that's like a sort of sidebar. Yeah, like there's, there's, whole, there's whole things, right? Where it's like there's time tracking apps that when you're doing a task, they'll just block it at like a, at a DNS level, right? That won't even let you load uh, Twitter or Facebook or Mastodon or whatever, whatever website you put in. But like, it's just... Uh, I guess it's it's a difference of just a mindset, right? Because I guess me and you come from come from that that sort of mindset of like w- most of our work is or at one point my work or yours is like done in a terminal, right? So it's you're more single focused on a task to begin with. But uh, just like as a general life tip, you know, like don't always rely on a on an internet connection because as soon it, when you get comfortable with it, it's going to disappear. I've had times too, where like, there's just nothing and I have to like live off my phone. Do you remember when I was up North? Right. So when I was, when I was up North, um, I was staying in Massachusetts for a bit early in the year. That's why the podcast went for delay. Long time listeners will know. And so 
what we were doing is that uh, we didn't have internet in our apartment for reasons that do not matter. And I would just steal hot, the hotspot from a cafe on the first floor of the building sometimes. And I mean, sometimes it was good, but other times it was just hot shit, right? And sometimes it didn't work at all because it was just like some random Comcast access point. And so I never, I didn't rely on having an internet connection that much. And you could still get work done. You could, it's just, you, after, after experiencing it, you start, it's how you're thinking about how you use a computer, right? Because you, beforehand, I never really thought about caching stuff, but now I'm like, oh, well, I need to cache it because what if I'm on the bus mm-hmm. and I go into a dead zone, So right? one thing I did was I was, when I was doing my project, right? Uh, I, I was, uh, I was, I had a lot of documentation for, uh, Ansible open. And normally what I would do at the end of the day is close, exit my browser tab to prevent memory leaks from becoming a terrible thing. But, uh, what I did, I just left my browser open. So I didn't have to like, you know, reload those pages. Those, those are mostly static pages. So I was just like, I just leave them open. It's fine. Uh, so that was one thing I did. Like for, like I had so many tabs open because I just didn't want to close them and reload them. Right. I just wanted to keep them in, keep them in memory and in cache. So I didn't have to, uh, burn data reloading them uh, because because I'm still working on the project. I know I still need those tabs uh, to load. So yeah, that's that's another thing. And also another thing, maybe a pro tip: if your if your neighbors have a different ISP, uh, maybe this is not as common in the United States because United States has a terrible. Uh, this is not this 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 point does not mean anything to anyone in the U.S. because your neighbors are going to have the same ISP because hashtag net neutrality. Yeah, so in in Canada there there might be different like if your neighbor has like if you have fiber and your neighbor might have DSL or like a cable ISP, right? Uh, maybe consider asking them for uh, Wi-Fi SSID access. You know, this is a more social thing, I guess. If you're if you're on friendly terms with your neighbors, uh, that might be something you want to look into, right? Like just just you know be friendly and just ask them for you know. Hey, my internet's down. Can I just like you know get use your use your Wi-Fi for a little bit? Because you know, in an apartment building, it's useful because access points are like all over. Like I have like a billion access points around me, and these are all my neighbors. So like it's possible to get some work done that way if, if you if you can if you can talk to your neighbors and get that kind of access. Uh, not really applicable in the United States because as I mentioned, if if an ISP is down in an area, it means that basically everybody in that area is basically fucked. So that's 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 uh i guess a thought about internet monopolies uh yeah so yeah i mean that's yeah internet yeah, monopolies it's, are it's bad uh, it's not it, good yeah don't uh net neutrality contact your legislator there you go that's, yeah that's the thing go, okay go we're talk gonna, to your congressperson yeah, but yeah we're, we're gonna end on that because uh, i have work in like half an hour and i want to eat something but so we're gonna end i'm you can you can find me on mastodon i deleted my twitter account so don't you can't find me there anymore uh, at static save at mastodon.zombocloud.com uh, and Christian, where can I people? am at uh, chosefine at instance dot business. Please send us uh, tips for uh, being offline. Yeah, please, please do send us tips. Uh, I'm actually curious because this is this is sort of my field of expertise. Like networks are not reliable all the time. They're a lot of times are designed for best effort. So that's that's another thing to keep in mind. And with that, goodbye. Goodbye.